first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Echoes in Between. Echoes in Between is a metaphysical drama created and produced by Jessica Burson and Bronson Metcalf. The first three episodes of the show are presented as a real podcast hosted by a pair of investigative journalists who are using scientific techniques to unlock old memories. The two, Gemma and Thomas, who sometimes call each other Woods and Bernsey, find the techniques work, but things rapidly become strange and dangerous. And beginning with the fourth episode, the show switches to a more traditional audio drama format as Gemma and Thomas investigate. Burson and Metcalf voice the roles of Gemma and Thomas. The first episode, in trance, introduces us to the protagonists and to the scientist whose techniques they're using, Dr. Adrian Thorne. We also get to hear Gemma go through a session with Thorne to relive a childhood memory. I spoke to Jess and Bronson remotely from their respective homes. Why don't each of you tell me something about yourselves as artists or creators or writers? I'm Jessica Burson. My background is in stage and voice acting. I also do fiction writing and playwriting. Bronson and I conceived of the story together. And then I wrote the scripts and directed the vocal cast. I do about three-fourths of the social media and I play Gemma on the show. Bronson? I started my whole journey into sound in general as a musician, like playing guitar as a teenager, being in bands and trying to get our songs recorded. The process of doing that was interesting because I was always sort of chasing like a better sounding recording. And so that led me to production. And I ended up falling in love with that as much as I was in love with making music. For the show, for Echoes, I do all the production, compose the music, and just, yeah, just try to get it to sound nice and smooth. (laughs) Yeah. How did you come to be in the arts? I think it's kind of the same story as most artists with me. It just kind of, that's where I landed by instinct. I started acting when I was maybe about 10 years old, just in community theater productions, doing kind of classes locally in improv and in dance. And the writing just kind of came naturally around the same time. I followed that through and got an extremely useful degree in theater arts (laughs) Uh, from Point Park University in Pittsburgh. From there, moved to Chicago, where I studied improv at the Second City. I've been in Chicago ever since, just kind of dabbling in stuff. What about writing? Where did that come from? It just came instinctively to me. I think it's just that kind of innate need to be a storyteller that also the acting springs from. Also, the fact that at a certain point, I realized that there weren't a lot of parts that were written for character actresses like me that I wanted to play. It was all kind of the same three parts over and over again. So I was like, if there's not parts for me, I'll just write parts for myself. (laughs) It's the easiest solution. 
I have a ton of stopped and started story ideas in a bank somewhere and about three completed novels, but nothing's ever kind of gone very far. (laughs) Bronson, so tell me about how you got into music. So I, I, oh man, I really wish that I could give you like a really inspiring, like cool, (laughs) cool, you know, one of those really like, oh, it was just in my soul from when I was a kid. But like, honestly, I, (laughs) I picked up the guitar because I thought it would impress girls. There you um, go. And, <laughs> you know, l- luckily um, that did end up turning into something much more. Right? It was when I sat down with my guitar teacher and he started to show me some of these basic fundamental concepts of music, some really rudimentary music theory. It just sort of unlocked it for me. And it was like the thing in my life that I stuck with. Now, did you study music like at college? You no, like no, no, I didn't. I've I've had a lot of music teachers, guitar teachers, and I took some piano lessons. And but no, no, everything everything else has been self taught. We live in such a time that being self taught in something is so much easier than before, right? There's hmm. anytime you encounter an obstacle to what you're trying to do, and and I find this in production all the time, especially. It's a Google search away, and 400 people have had the same problem the answer is going to be there for you. Yeah. I've been really working hard on developing my composition skills since Book of Constellations. And so I've been working on that. And mm-hmm. it's, you're right. I'd have enough knowledge that if I need to look up some chord progressions or a particular kind of mode, there's plenty of resources out there that I can use to teach myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. How did the two of you meet and decide to start working together? So when I was trying to work out how to do a little bit of production on those story fragments. I started reaching out in places, just asking kind of simple questions, just how to edit things and to make them sound good. Mm. And this lovely human being popped into my DMs one day and said, hi, I do sound for a living. If you need any help, let me know. And we just kind of started talking and immediately just hit it off as friends. Very quickly, it became clear to me that we had this perfectly overlapping skill set to make audio drama, which was something that I really wanted to do and just didn't quite know how to start doing. So I said to Bronson, you know, I want to tell stories with you. I think we could really make something special. And he said, let's do it. Maybe when I'm a little less busy. And I said, cool, production starts on Tuesday. <laughs> that is that is totally how it happened. You, it you, is. You totally, just, you totally just roped me in and I was like, you know what? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. uh That's a cool story idea. We've got to do this. (laughs) I sank my claws in when I saw the opportunity. It was too enticing. It was was such a cool idea. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. What was it about the idea or about Jessica that made you want to launch yourself into audio drama? The thing that I really appreciated about Jess's writing, especially, was her ability to make use of the medium. I would read through these scripts that she was writing as, as they were coming in. Every page turn, there was like a new, like, that's a really cool way to explore sound because that is the only thing we have to tell this story. As I'm reading that, I'm, I'm imagining in my head, like, what is that going to sound like? And I'm starting to build that framework. It's almost like composing and making those weird sounds. And her character work is just phenomenal. Why don't you tell me about Echoes in Between in your own words? What does this show mean to you when you think about it? So on a basic level, Echoes in Between is the story of two friends, Gemma and Thomas, 
who are both investigative journalists and are kind of at stagnant points in their adult lives. Just as sort of a whim, they start a podcast in which they are utilizing the skills of a local academic named Dr. Adrian Thorne, who has come up with a process by which he can improve memory, drawing out specific memories in great detail from childhood. It, to me, is a story that I would like to watch. I purposefully made the main characters friends, even though it's a male and a female, which generally people are going to want to ship. People are going to want them to get together. But to me, friendships are just so much more interesting to write than romantic relationships. With romantic relationships, there's a start point and an end point, and we all know what that is. And the middle journey is what's left up to the writer's imagination. With a friendship, it could go anywhere. They could draw closer, they could draw apart, they could come back and forth together. So to me, it's really a story about a friendship that is very long-lasting and complex and a representation of platonic love that maybe doesn't get portrayed in media a lot. Bronson, what does the show mean to you? Every time I sort of listen to it, I think about challenge, taking on a project like this and diving in with a friend, that creation of something out of nothing. I think to me, it represents that whole growth of a friendship on this side of the mic between Jess and I. Well, now I have to ask, how has the podcast affected your friendship? It has brought us closer together and it has strained us at the same time. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we, like any creative partnership, there's butting heads. When you both feel so passionately about the project and you really have an idea that you want to hammer into the story or into the production or something. Uh, I just, I know this would be so good if you could just see it too, but, but sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're right. You know, there were times that I was so sure that this thing was good and it would work. And Jess is like, no, dude, no. Um, and, and, and it <laughs> and turned out better. Versa. Right. And it turned out better for it. And we've gotten better at that. I think mm-hmm. just slowing down a bit, trying to see the other perspective and be like, okay. And thinking about it, through a little bit more rather than just latching on to the idea and not letting go. The story itself has been truly collaborative. This story did not exist before we conceived of the project. I've noticed in audio drama, there's a lot of creators who kind of recycle other material that, you know, maybe a pilot that didn't get picked up or a novel that couldn't find another outlet. This story was written specifically for this medium and for this project. It didn't have an origin outside of the two of us. This has been the extraordinary thing about this partnership. What I would do is kind of come to Bronson with a, a beat in the story. So the very first thing was just, okay, it starts off sounding like it's a real podcast and then shit gets weird. <laughs> and that was literally the pitch. <laughs> and then we had to kind of figure out, okay, so what's the podcast about? Who are the characters who are hosting this podcast? And we'd be kind of chugging along. And then Bronson would throw in something like, okay, but what if they start remembering each other's memories? And that would stop me in my tracks. And I'd have to go, okay, I like that. Let's figure out how that works. It's not even fair because I just get to have all these big, dumb ideas. And then I just I just throw <laughs> them at Jess. And I'm like, here, put it in the story. <laughs> <laughs> But most of the time it worked. And a lot of the stuff that ended up being inciting incidents was those crazy wrenches he was throwing in the works. I've always just had a love of just like uh, backstory and lore and creating a, a rich world. 
I'm not as good at writing a story. Jess is much, much better at that. Let's talk a little bit about the show itself. Echoes in Between, you call it a metaphysical audio drama. Yeah, we couldn't really find a, a term that fit <laughs> quite right. There are things that are going on that are kind of sci-fi-ish, but they're also they're beyond the normal scope of the world. Speculative fiction, alternate reality. The show itself starts off as a podcast within a podcast. For all we can tell, you are listening to a real podcast about these two reporters, Gemma and Thomas. Really, if you were to listen to the first episode unto itself, apart from a few little small weirdness that happens, <laughs> that would be your impression of the show. This is what the show is. Talk to me about why you wanted Gemma and Thomas to be who they are. And I want to frame this by saying Thomas introduces himself as a reporter who has worked nationally, but now he's working at a local paper. He's doing freelance. It sounds like he's kind of fallen off the big time. When Gemma introduces herself, she also says in these very vague terms that she does journalist stuff, but she's kind of stopped and doesn't really go much deeper than that in terms of why. Talk to me about these two characters and why you wanted them to be who they are as you started writing this show. There's a large chunk of Midwestern sensibilities in them. I'm not originally from Chicago, but I've lived here for about 15 years. And there's a very specific mentality that people have in the Midwest of wanting to break out, but not too much because you don't want people to think that you're getting too big for your britches. And there's a sort of anxiety there of mm. growing too big. That is kind of at the core of both of them. The instinct of the listener, I think, is probably to assume that Gemma is based on me as a person, which she is not at all. If anything, I'm yeah. much more like Thomas. <laughs> In my head, I always think of her as the Kool-Aid man. She kind of like busts into the room, shooting first and asking questions later. Thomas is the perfect foil to her because he kind of grounds her and says, okay, let's think about it. And so together, they kind of make this perfect good cop, bad cop tandem. Gemma sort of realizes that Thomas brings out a good side of her. And Thomas sort of realizes that Gemma enables him to be a little bit more courageous. Bronson, you do the voice of Thomas. Yes. Have you ever done voice acting before? No. <laughs> no, no. So what was Isn't that like? good? He's so good at it, though. <laughs> he is. Thank you. Yeah. What was that like? It's really scary, but also it's made a lot easier by the fact that Jess is such a good director. How do you feel about the character that you play? Since, since I'm not an actor, really, like since I'm so new at this, my instinct is just sort of to uh, be myself, right? And just mm -hmm. like, but turn up little bits of who Thomas is instead. And so it, it was interesting to learn how to do that, to step outside of myself and try to to really get in the mind of the character. And, you know, who is Thomas um, and how is he different from me? And how can I how can I play that up so that I'm not just speaking as myself? Because, you know, what if I'm to play another character down the line? They can't all just be me. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. So. <laughs> I am Gemma Avitz, one half of your dynamic hosting team, and my co-host here beside me, um, should I introduce you or would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, I am Thomas Font. And we are going to be your guides through what we hope will be a pretty eye-opening journey for all of us. So firstly, we wanted to give you all some background on us and maybe explain why we are uniquely qualified to host a podcast like this. 
Are we qualified, though? <laughs> I mean, we're qualified as far as being intensely curious human beings, right? We are legitimately paid to be curious. This is true. <laughs> and by that, my co-host means that we are both professional investigative journalists. Uh, professional is a strong word. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to us in particular, yes. Yes, it is. Uh... Neither one of these characters are particularly famous. They're not superheroes. They're not detectives or whatever. You chose to write them primarily as these two characters that are at a crossroads in their lives and maybe dealing with not being super successful at this particular moment. I think it's a very common place to be for people in their mid-30s to late-30s, reevaluating their lives and kind of looking around and going, is this what I wanted? I, I don't remember yeah. anymore. <laughs> Sometimes we're forced into positions you know, like with Gemma's situation, where you don't have a lot of choice about what you need to be doing in that moment. You just know you have to be there. You got to kind of give up stuff in order to maintain relationships with your family or your friends or whatever it is. And it's that, yeah, that crossroads of realizing that you're an adult and that some of those dreams you had when you were younger may not be feasible. I'm 39 years old. I'm probably not going to be a rock star at this point in my life. You never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. But, you know, 16-year-old me was convinced that that was an inevitability. Oh, me too. <laughs> As we listen to the podcast, Gemma and Thomas explain to the listener how they know each other, their history going to school together. And it is a good chance for us to get to know who they are to each other. We then introduce Dr. Adrian Thorne, not in person, but his ideas and his work. We get to hear a session where Gemma recovers an old memory. Okay, Gemma. Time to come back to us. Take it slow. How do you feel? Uh, um, wow. I feel kind of weird, actually. Mm, hang on a sec. I feel a little weird, too. Kind of well, lightheaded. Yeah, lightheaded. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is so strange. Um, there's this, there's this little pinprick of pain on either side of my head, kind of behind my ears. <laughs> well, you must have released a lot of tension then. Don't worry, you'll start to feel normal in a moment. Would you like some water? No, I'm okay. You're right over there, Woods. You look like you just got slapped in the face. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm just... Surprised is all. I I wasn't really following along with the know, meditation or whatever. Uh, I didn't realize I'd kind of sunk into it too. <laughs> You're a little too good at this, Doc. Sounds like both of you just needed an excuse to relax for a minute or two. All right, Jenna, are you ready to go back into the memory? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. After that session, the episode pretty much finishes. From a traditional narrative standpoint, this is a fairly low stakes episode that mm -hmm. there's not a lot that seems to happen that's at risk for our characters. So I'm really curious as to your thought process about starting things off in this way that suggests, hey, this is really a podcast you're stumbling onto and that this is really a thing that's happening, but not giving that kind of really dramatic call to action that you frequently are told about in yeah. writing class. I We just became really infatuated with the idea of tricking people into thinking it was a real podcast, <laughs> which we kind of realized 
later on down the road was probably not a great marketing strategy. We really wanted to kind of capture what it sounds like when you're listening to a podcast like that. And I think that's kind of a, a good jumping off point. You know, it's a, it's a trope that's used by a lot of audio dramas for a reason. It's the same reason that, you know, there's a lot of TV shows about making TV shows. It fits the medium. But yeah, about, you know, a few episodes in, we kind of realized there's only so far we can go with this premise to keep people on board and keep them interested in the story. It would be really, really difficult to tell the scope of the story uh, and keep it within that podcast, within a podcast framing. There's only so many leaps of logic that you can make to explain why somebody's recording all these crazy things happening to them. We knew sort of right away that at some point we're going to break out of that format. It'll just be a, a fun little surprise. Like the fourth episode is when it mm -hmm. kind of really shifts completely yeah. into, into a formal drama, an audio drama, as opposed yeah. to a podcast within a podcast thing. That was part of the plan all along mm -hmm. when you were working on this and developing it. We brought up the example of WandaVision, where it starts with mm. that conceit of the retro sitcom framework. And then at the same point in the show, you know, a couple episodes in, it expands outwards and you see more of the world and what it is in context. I mentioned that the first episode does feel very low stakes in terms of risk to the characters, but I found myself wondering, okay, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> that question was still in my head. There are several things that I think that work really well in your favor in this case. I do think the production value of the show is really quite good. I think both of you do a great job with your performances as well. There's a nice repartee the two of you have, which makes me like you. So that makes me want to hear more about what happens. But in addition to the overall concept of, okay, they're exploring old memories, that's kind of an interesting thing. There's little things that happen too, which kind of stand out. For example, when we're listening to Gemma going through the session, we're listening to the audio, but the audio that we're listening to gets distorted. Not mm -hmm. the recording doesn't get distorted, but the audio that we're listening to gets yeah. distorted. And that was a little creepy. And that kind of mm. moves it up a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. As you listen, concentrate on feeling the tension of your thoughts disappearing, dissolving. Anytime a thought tries to take hold of your consciousness, imagine it disintegrating into nothing as though it is salt melting into seawater. Just float there for a while and concentrate on the sounds all around you. And then if you listen all the way through to the end, we can actually hear Thomas and Gemma talking after the, the show is over. So talk to me about your sound design philosophy as you were approaching this show. For sure. So I knew that I wanted two really distinct settings almost. When Gemma and Thomas are in podcast mode and when they're speaking, all of those scenes are fairly close mic'd and we have no reverb. But then in, in scenes where it switches to audio drama, then I'm always applying some kind of reverb to simulate a physical space. And I think that doing that kind of separates those two modes to tell you, are you, are you listening to podcast Gemma and Thomas or like just life in terms of sound design for the frequency track? That one was a lot of fun because I just get to hop into a synthesizer and, and just kind of go crazy, <laughs> you know, just, uh, <laughs> just make all these crazy sound patches and different rhythms and tones and, and textures. I'm a big fan of texture in sound. 
I will say without giving away too many spoilers to our listeners that things do get strange and then they get even stranger Mm -hmm. and then they get a little dangerous as things go on. The other thing that pops up is that there has been an event and I hope you don't mind if we talk about this. Uh, No, not at all. A little spoilery, but, but there was an event that happened in the world of your show that doesn't happen in our world, the blackout. I wonder if you would just sort of briefly tell us what that is and then talk to me about why you wanted to include this particular event. The blackout is an event that happened in the late 90s. It affected mostly children, but also some young adults. The idea for that being the affected group honestly came from the research I was doing into how memory works. Once we had decided on memory as a theme for that podcast, I wanted to incorporate some actual science into what they were saying. So most of the stuff that Dr. Thorne says during those first couple episodes is real science on memory. I latched on to the idea of children's brains not being fully formed. And that's why we kind of get these impossible memories or things that We don't quite remember the same as other people in our family because, you know, our brains haven't fully formed and they don't have the experience to attach to those memories. So they just try to make sense out of the chaos. That's where I kind of thought, okay, so if there was this big event that happened to the entire world, wouldn't it be interesting if it only happened to the children and therefore you get two different generations that are experiencing the same event with two different sets of trauma? What actually happened in the moment? So for the adults, they sort of lost consciousness, but also they kind of went into autopilot. They kind of just performed the daily activities of getting up, feeding themselves, going to work, the stuff that we just do without thinking about it. The children all remained fully conscious. So you suddenly have this world full of children who are on their own for a day, watching their caretakers just not responding to them at all. Older children are going to be able to take some responsibility for themselves, but younger children will just be kind of left up to their own devices. And, you know, depending on your individual family situation, when this happened would dictate probably how traumatized you got by the situation. What is it about this particular theme of generational trauma that drew you to write about it? It was a lot of the talk of how COVID is affecting the younger generation right now who have had their school lives interrupted and Mm. what that's doing for their socialization. That kind of intrigued me of like, okay, yeah, how do we as a society, as a world, deal with an entire generation who have had to live through this big traumatic event? What do you struggle with personally or professionally, artistically? You want to take that one first, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Fine. (laughs) <laughs> Staying motivated is a, is a big thing for me. My creative energy is pretty mercurial. I'll get an idea for a story and I start writing it and I'll get about, you know, 25 pages in and I'm going, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. This is going to win me a Pulitzer. This is, this is going to be an Academy Award winning movie. And then three days later, I go back and reread it and I'm like, this is, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> So staying motivated to see a project all the way through and to actually tell the story to an endpoint is a huge thing for me. What do you do to get around that? Quite honestly, it was Bronson that kept me motivated. Having Mm. a, a creative partner who was really excited to see where all of this was going was so motivating and kept me interested in the story I was telling myself. 
because I got to see it in real time through someone else's eyes. And getting that feedback is something I crave so badly. Bronson, what do you struggle with? Probably the process of iteration, sort of nailing down exactly what every element is going to be. This is the first time that I've scored something, you know, added, added music all the way through and tried to develop themes and, and all of that. The process of organizing all of that to sort of get the whole thing to sound like one piece. We, I think we both really wanted to have a really cohesive feel. I certainly would listen to episode 12 and think, oh man, I did something different here than I did in episode four. So I'd go back and it's, it is constantly bouncing around between these and it can get really frustrating. So we have an echoes in between milestone here today on the show <laughs> in that this is the first time that the two of you have ever spoken to each other by voice. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Hi, Jess. Hi. So am I to understand that you created this entire show without ever speaking to each other? Only as our characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so you recorded asynchronously then and yep. you would then edit, That's edit right. together. So why did you make that choice? Mostly because the cast is scattered across uh, the country and the world. And it's a small cast. I mean, we've only got six main characters and then six kind of smaller cameo roles. There was only one person who recorded their part in the same room with me reading the opposite lines. Everybody else lives in a different city. It was just simpler that way. <laughs> I think what's amazing, though, is that the technology that exists today allows us to actually make something good mm -hmm. and yet we could live time zones away so it's just amazing how far the democratization of technology has allowed the arts to to flourish in certain ways yeah, For sure. yeah and yeah. and allowed pieces that wouldn't exist otherwise to to be created like this yeah how do each of you measure success if the damn thing is done, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think for me, it's like, am I satisfied with it? Can I sit down and listen to it and not sort of pick it apart? Can I listen to it and just be happy with the work that we've done? And I am. So, yeah. yeah. In the very beginning, we kind of said to each other, you know, let's tell the story that we want to listen to. The, you know, let's just tell this story for us and not really concern ourselves with who's listening to it. And I think... I think that was the best approach that we could take. Because mm -hmm. if you're, you're trying to cater towards an invisible crowd, you're never going to please the real one. What's something you wish you had known about making audio dramas before you started making one? I wish I'd known a lot more about marketing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty common across the board. Creatives don't really, for the most part, I think, enjoy the, the pushy part of things. So I, I've had a little bit of experience in social media running it for different projects and things, but every community has its own flow and language. So you got to kind of pay attention to how everybody talks to each other and about their own projects and stuff so that you don't come crashing in and uh, into spaces that you aren't welcome. <laughs> I wish I had known sort of the enormity of the task I was mm. undertaking. It seemed like it was going to be, ah, you know, uh, we'll, we'll knock this thing out in like a month and a half. Um, <laughs> and then it took, and it ended up taking like six months, right? I was, I was spending all of my free time doing it. And like, I'm, this is not a complaint. Like I, I, I did that because I love it. If it wasn't this, it would have been some other sound thing. But if, if you want to really sort of pursue the high production value that I was aiming for, 
it it was it was a huge huge task is there anything that either of you would like to say anything else it's been nice talking to you bronson <laughs> yeah you too <laughs> we'll do it again sometime you yeah, should <laughs> yeah uh starting with the next episode both thomas and i will come in prepared with a memory from childhood we're hoping to explore uh we want all of you to do the same Think about something you'd really like to know a detail about, maybe something that doesn't make sense or something you remember differently than someone else in your family. Oh, yeah. I've got a really good one, Bernsey. A really good one. Do you? Oh, I can't wait to hear it. I'm really interested to go through the whole thing with you this time and see if I experienced something similar to what you did. I'm telling you, Woods, it's a trip and a half. So... Yeah, listeners, come back for our next episode and you'll get to experience Dr. Thorne's process for yourselves right along with us. Echoes in Between is the sort of story that takes a few episodes to sink yourself into, but then follows up with a high-concept, speculative fiction story. And as the stakes go up, so much of the outcome will depend on the friendship between these two characters. You can listen to Echoes in Between on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. Until next time.